Brock McGillis is a former pro hockey player who played goalie for the Ontario Hockey League's Sioux Greyhounds and Windsor Spitfires between the years 2001 and 2002. He later became the first professional men's hockey player to come out as gay in 2016. Ever since, he's been an activist for the queer hockey community on a mission to make hockey a more inclusive place. Brock shares his story to illuminate the issues in hockey culture to the world. The issues are much more impactful than some people understand at first glance. In the grand scheme of things, it's a matter of life and death. As a kid, I knew I was gay and I suppressed it to the point that it didn't really impact me. But as I reached my teenage years and, and moved on to like higher levels of AAA and then on to like major junior, I struggled immensely because of the language I heard on a regular basis. It was beat into my head uh, from locker room cultures that I couldn't be gay and play the sport I love. Uh, anytime anyone used homophobic language, it was to put each other down. So I suppressed my sexuality completely. I was angry with myself anytime I had uh, a sexual thought about being gay or just questioned my sexuality in general. Um, uh, to, like I was self-loathing. There was a ton of internal hatred. Uh, I began to, by the age of 17, I started drinking daily. I think I drank daily from 17 to 23. I was incredibly depressed. Um, I attempted to take my own life on five or six occasions at least and uh, thought about dying every day. According to the Centers for Disease Control, lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth are three times more likely to contemplate suicide and almost five times more likely to attempt suicide compared to that of heterosexual youth. But these struggles are hard to spot. They're invisible, as mental health usually is. And it's hard for people on the outside to recognize them when they're hidden behind a facade of being okay. People thought I had this great life. So I was in the OHL and um, I would get my friends into clubs at 17 years old and we'd bypass lines and owners of bars would give us shots and like all this like sweet stuff. And I, I was a womanizer. I'd adhered fully to the hypermasculine culture that I thought I had to be part of in order to play hockey. So I was womanizing, partying hard, acting like a cocky jerk. And my friends thought I had this sweet life. But I'd go home at night and I'd cry and I hated myself. Uh, a little bit later, by the time I was 23, I was, uh, because of all the injuries and the depression and the suicide attempts, my career derailed. I went from NHL draft list to playing in the minors in Europe. And I sat myself down one day and I said, two things are about to happen. One, my career was about to end. And I knew it, it, it was coming to an end very shortly if I didn't, you know, get my shit together. And two, most importantly, if I didn't figure myself out, I was probably going to end up dead. So Brock moved to Toronto to figure himself out and went on a date with a man who became his partner for the following three years. And I was like, this is so phenomenal. Now I know I'm gay. 
and my career will get back on track. I'm going to be happy. Life's going to, you know, I'm going to make the NHL. But it actually got worse because now there was like pressure to hide who I was in order to play hockey. Like now, now it came with lies. It came with hiding things instead of just, you know, fully suppressing it. So now I had a partner for three years that nobody in my life knew about. It's one thing to understand yourself, but an entirely different thing to share that self with the world. Especially when your world is the hyper-masculine one of hockey. And it took a series of events to happen to push Brock into taking those first steps of sharing himself. So I was living in Montreal and I took a step back from pro hockey and I was playing university hockey in Montreal. And Brendan Burke came out. And Brendan is the son of Brian Burke and was trying to make followers in his father's footsteps and make the NHL as a general manager. Brendan Burke made headlines when he publicly came out as gay in 2009. He sat down with James Duthie in a TSN interview that year to discuss why he decided to publicly come out. Uh, I think it's important because I've been supported so strongly by my family and by Miami's hockey team. Uh, and I think it's important that my story is told to people because there are a lot of gay athletes out there and gay people working in pro sports that deserve to know that there are safe environments where people are supportive of you regardless of your sexual orientation. Brendan's coming out was a shock to some people because he was part of the hockey community that typically had no LGBTQ representation. His father, Brian Burke, a tough masculine NHL executive, was also someone that people might not have perceived to be accepting of homosexuality. But from the very start and beyond, Brian was nothing but supportive of his son, which he explains in the same interview with TSN. Well, I said it won't change anything, Brendan. You know, it doesn't change uh, our view of we love you, we're proud of you, and it doesn't change anything in my mind, and it never will. Brendan's coming out caught the attention of every LGBT person in the hockey community and inspired many people, including Brock. It was the first time I heard somebody say they were gay in hockey and it wasn't used in a negative way. Um, so I reached out to him and we instantly formed a friendship and we spoke like every day. And it was such a relief for me to have somebody in my life I could talk to who understood the duality of being gay in this hyper-masculine men's side of the sport. And one day Brendan sent me a message and it was, I can't wait for the day that you're out to your family like I am to mine. And I remember looking at my phone and sort, I was sort of freaking out. I didn't answer him. Two days later, Brendan passed away in a car accident. Those were the last words he ever said to me. his deepest sympathies to the Burke family. Brendan Burke, the 21-year-old son of Leaf General Manager Brian Burke, and Mark Reedy, an 18-year-old Michigander, were killed in a car crash yesterday in Indiana. Brendan's father and brother, Brian and Patrick Burke, started the You Can Play campaign in 2012. The goal was to fight homophobia in sports in honor of Brendan. The original promotion featured prominent NHL stars like Daniel Alfredson and Henrik Lundqvist endorsing equality in sports. We're now joined by hockey players from around the world supporting my son Brendan's simple message. If you can play, you can play. If you can play, you can play. If you can play, 
you can play. The effect of Brendan's bravery can still be felt to this day. His story inspired countless individuals in the LGBTQ community to come out of the closet and live as themselves. After Brendan passed, I had to honor him in some way, and those were the last words he ever said to me, and I've always sort of regretted not responding to him. So I came out to my brother, and then to my family, and then I came out to everyone in my life who wasn't involved in hockey. And this was five or six years prior to coming out publicly. I came out to them first. I came out to everyone who was involved in hockey because I didn't think hockey would be a safe space or an inclusive space for me. I didn't think my friends would be my friends anymore. It's a dilemma all hockey players in the closet feel like they have to face. Choose the sport you love and live your life behind a mask? Or leave it all together to be yourself? There's not typically an in-between. The Trevor Project found that LGBTQ athletes report much lower participation rates in sports, and it's not due to a lack of interest. The biggest factors for low participation are high levels of harassment and low levels of intervention within the sport. So many athletes like Brock feel it's easier to hide part of their identity in order to fit in the hockey community. But as Brock found out, that's sometimes easier said than done. I got this call from a hockey mom who said, Brock, I want to set you up on a date. And I thought, oh, Jesus, no. Like, what am I going to say? And I said, what's her name? And she said, Steve. I said, what? And she said, Brock, you're gay. And I said, like, how do you know this? She's like, oh, my son told me. Her son was 15 at the time. I said, how does he know this? She's like, oh, all the boys know us predominantly working with men's players. She's like, they've known for years. I panicked and I thought, they're not going to want to work with me anymore. I'm going to lose my businesses. How am I going to pay my bills? And I start freaking out. I start thinking, wait, they've known for years. All these cocky hockey bros who think they're so sweet, no one gay and choose to work with me. How cool is that? And Brock soon realized that his presence was a force of positive change. Anytime they would say something homophobic, they'd freeze up and apologize to me. And I'd kind of shrug, nod my head, and keep going with things. And I started thinking, well, maybe I'm creating a shift. You know, they're, they're becoming more conscious of their language. But not everyone was as accepting of Brock's presence as the players he worked with. A uh, hockey association in Severy that I grew up playing in told me that my businesses weren't allowed to work with their players in season. And I was the only business in the city that wasn't allowed to work with their teams in season all of a sudden. And around this time, some of my competitors were outing me. And... I worked with the top players in the off season, so none of it made sense. So my father ran into the president of the association and true to form said, is it because Brock's gay? And the president denied knowing, even though I knew people knew and I had been told that he knew. So the next day I show up at a rink for, to help coach one of the teams I was volunteering my time with, team I'd worked with for years. And apparently the president went around and called everyone and told them I was gay. I showed up at, to the rink and the coach said, I no longer need your help. Thanks. Bye. And I got kicked off a bunch of staffs. Shortly after that, um, right after that season, there was the massacre at Pulse nightclub where 49 uh, queer people were murdered just for being gay. 
We do want to update you on the breaking news out of Orlando, the terror attack on a gay nightclub. Right now, at least 20 are dead, maybe more. The shooter also dead. Police say that he was well prepared. He was organized. They do not believe that he was from the area. More than 40 have been taken to a local hospital. And that impacted me uh, tremendously. That easily could have been me and my friends in Toronto. That was an assault on the entire community because the reality is queer folks is we don't have a lot of spaces that are safe still. The lack of safe spaces was made very clear to Brock in the week that followed. A friend of mine was running a LGBT organization and less than a week after Pulse, he ended up on an ISIS hit list for being gay in Toronto. A recent Statistics Canada report found that the number of hate crimes against LGBTQ people is rising. 53% of those hate crimes reported by the community were violent crimes. The percentage of violent hate crimes against the queer community is higher than any other minority group in Canada, slightly higher than even violent hate crimes targeting race and ethnicity. Brock attended a charity event with his friend who was being targeted surrounded by security with the threat of a violent attack lingering in the air. In that moment, I knew I had to do something. And I didn't know what, but I, I had to. So the next day, I contacted a friend of mine, Sanaya Sapurji, who's a journalist, and I said, I'm, I'm ready, I'm coming out. Since that decision and the coming out news story that followed, Brock inadvertently became a public figure at the forefront of the movement within sports. If a news outlet needs an opinion on LGBTQ issues in sports, they usually go to Brock. And he's generous enough to speak out. He's a perfect spokesperson because he lived within the culture to see where the problems lie. Hockey is incredibly insular. In hockey, we are isolated off in arenas from the age of seven or eight. We are broken up by age group and skill level and uh, it's predominantly all white. It's heterosexist in the sense that everyone is presumed to be straight and the language is geared towards straight people solely. It's a very expensive sport, so it's predominantly middle top of class. So when you couple all that together, there's a ton of privilege and there's the ability to say what you want when you want without fear of ramifications. And it normalizes language which is problematic on a lot of fronts that people don't even realize is problematic. And then you're spending six to seven nights a week with the same 20 or so people for eight, nine, 10 months of the year. It's a cycle that repeats itself for generations. Hockey players in the culture become hockey parents or hockey coaches who instill the same values in the next generation of hockey players. In terms of the hockey community, Brock sees clear ways meaningful change can be made within the culture. To me, the, the way to fix it is you need the top down because those NHL players are the biggest influencers. You need to humanize these issues. So let's say as a gay guy in hockey, I humanize my lived experience of being in the sport and how it impacted me. Then you have somebody like Cheryl McDonald, who then puts the education together, who has studied this immensely and understands it. From there, then you actively start seeing shift. Now you'll see people be more conscious of their language and their behaviors. And if you start top down and you get the NHL players to shift, well, if they're in a locker room of community junior players and a kid says something out of line, they're going to be like, that's not cool. We don't accept that. 
Some academics believe the players at the very top are too far gone to shift hockey culture. They've spent too long in the system to meaningfully change it. But top players voicing support for LGBTQ issues could have a trickle-down effect to the younger players who do have that power to create meaningful change. But at the same time as you're doing top-down, you need to do bottom-up. And I think you need to start with the youngest kids possible because they're the ones when their parents or coaches say something that's out of line will stand up and say, you can't say that. And then they'll start to, from an early age, normalize saying, hey, that's not okay. And that doesn't have to just be for queer folks. That can be for, you know, BIPOC communities. That could be for disabled people. That could be for women on the men's side of the sport and, you know, the misogyny they experience. Shifting the culture of hockey isn't solely the responsibility of the elite few who get to participate in it at professional levels. It takes everyone surrounding hockey, fans, staff, reporters, even just casual spectators across the country. Allyship is essential in creating safe spaces within hockey. Uh, straight people have a ton of influence, especially in hockey culture. So yes, amplifying voices is good and, and everyone talks about that. And I think it's lovely, but they need to demand more. You know, I, I sometimes I feel like I'm on an island alone, uh, you know, just screaming into the void wanting more than a damn pride night, which is performative bullshit. I've referred to it in McLean's as having the parade before winning the cup. You've done nothing to actively shift hockey culture and yet you're celebrating as if you've eradicated homophobia. Voices like Brock's are essential in amplifying these issues to larger audiences. However, being outspoken comes with its drawbacks. Brock is on the receiving end of a lot of online hate and homophobia. Um, but I've had people DM me my address and tell me they're going to kill me. Um, it, it's, it's really exhausting. It's by no means an easy position to assume, especially when it's one you don't even get paid for. Brock volunteers his time and energy into his activism, even when it takes a toll on him. It's really exhausting, uh, leads me to tears, leads me to uh, just hating this. And then I think about quitting all the time. But then I think about all those kids that are probably struggling. And then I wonder if I don't do it, like, am I going to leave it in the hands of groups that have been trying and all they've come up with in uh, almost 10 years is a goddamn pride night. And then I, you know, think, is that really going to help kids in the future? Despite these challenges, Brock stays very public and vocal while he supports LGBTQ plus people in hockey. Look no further than his Hockey Pride campaign, a series of interviews he conducted to amplify the voices of queer people in the hockey community. Through the interviews, one thing is clear. Brock's accessibility has made a big impact in their lives. I want to be accessible to all people because I know what it feels like to be alone with this. Our, our struggle as queer people is predominantly internal. And, and that leads to a lot of mental anguish and um, potential for uh, mental health issues, 
I, I don't want people to have to go through what I went through. I struggled alone for a very long time and it led to me, you know, trying to cope and numb with alcohol and substances and, and it led me to be suicidal. And if I can be a shoulder or an ear for somebody who's struggling so they don't have to endure what I did, then why wouldn't I? You know, if I am the first person that comes up on Google and they can reach out to me and, and I answer, why wouldn't I be that? And that's exactly who Brock is, a pillar and spokesperson in the community. I have a voice and it's pretty damn powerful and I get to use it daily and people listen. Hockey is very slow to change, but with voices like Brock's, we're starting to see some minor changes. Curtis Gabriel, a player with the San Jose Sharks, was nominated for the King Clancy Memorial Trophy at the 2021 NHL Awards. The award goes to the player who exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution to their community. Curtis was nominated for his contributions to the LGBTQ community. Sportsnet declared him the gold standard of allyship in hockey, and he's someone Brock calls a really good ally. Curtis is a great example of a really good ally. He tries hard, he amplifies voices. Is he perfect? No, but guess what? Nobody is. But he actively works at this to be better on a regular basis. Curtis uses rainbow pride tape on his hockey equipment on a regular basis to show his support for the queer community. And he's also very vocal about his support for the community and the inequalities they face. Curtis didn't win the King Clancy Award, but his nomination signifies his contributions to the issue. But perhaps the biggest change happened two weeks after this very podcast finished recording. 19-year-old Nashville Predators prospect, Luke Prokop, came out as gay. In doing so, he became the first player under an NHL contract to publicly come out as gay. To say this is a big deal is an understatement. Luke is a trailblazer, and his bravery is sure to lead the way for other players in the hockey community to come out now now that they won't have the burden of being the first to do so. In his coming out statement, Luke said, I hope that sharing who I am can help other people see that gay people are welcome in the hockey community. And from the surface, the reaction to Luke's coming out appears to echo his statement. But that reaction is a mere tip of the iceberg. Issues in hockey are systemic and run deep Academics have conducted research to try to figure out how hockey culture is formed, how damaging it can be, and what has to happen to make it more inclusive. Find out on episode two of Masked Up.